0: Ladies and gentlemen, and corner kick fam, welcome back to corner kick with a three man booth for the first time. Uh, I am Nathan Strauss, and we're going to keep the intros brief this time because, you know, <laughs> as I've learned from watching um, NBC Sports over the years, the best three-man booths need no introduction, but I'm also joined by Caleb Rhodes.
1: Hello. Good good to be back after a, a spot of illness, as they say across the pond.
0: And Nick Vinden.
2: I'm back, baby. I'm back in this chair. I'm back at the round table. I'm back on this microphone. It feels good to be back. And I am excited to be talking about what was an incredibly lively weekend of football.
0: Yeah. So I think the last time we talked about this game, in particular City Liverpool, uh, we were both of the opinion that uh, these are the two best teams uh, in the world. And that was, you know, before 2-2 draw back in October. Watching this game this weekend made me 100% certain that these two teams not only have you know the best some of the best players in the world, but these are, in my opinion, the two best teams in Europe and and therefore the world right now. Uh, what a game! Really, like from start to finish, this game was just awesome. And I think it, it served to to me to emphasize a couple of points. First, these two teams are just heads and shoulders above everyone else, not just in the league, but uh, on the continent, and that uh, you know, while this was billed as sort of a title decider, we did not really get anything decided. So, Nick, I know um, you're certainly eager to talk about this. I'm curious what your big takeaways uh, from this game are.
2: I mean, I 100% agree. This was another classic Premier League game. I think once Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp both leave the Premier League, we're going to be looking back on this rivalry uh, from. I think around like 2018 to 2024-ish as I think probably the two best all-around footballing sides the Premier League has ever seen. And this was another game that illustrated that. I think I completely agree with you, Nathan. These two teams are head and shoulders above anything else in Europe right now. And they really went hell for leather in this game. Nothing was left, um, you know, on the pitch for these two teams except for the Raheem sterling disallowed goal, but I just thought you know it was so fascinating to see these two teams try and work each other out. I definitely think you know man City probably played. A bit more of a complete game, but they certainly you know got undone at times, particularly at the beginning of the second half when Mo Salah just rips a pass through the man City defense for Sadio Mane to latch onto and finish brilliantly um, I thought. You know, both teams did a really good job of exploiting the other's weaknesses. I mean, this is just, you know, coaching of the highest caliber, you know, two coaches who have an immense respect for each other, but also couldn't be more different. And, you know, the brilliance of individual players like Kevin De Bruyne, like Thiago, I thought Thiago had an immense game for Liverpool, like Sadio Mane. Um, you know, the passing and the vision of Trent Alexander-Arnold was on full display in this game, even though defensively I didn't think Liverpool had the greatest game all around on the back four. You know, Andy Robertson putting the ball into the box. I thought Bernardo Silva was immense for Manchester City and keeping the ball ticking over. Um, I mean, this was just in the quality that was coming off the benches as well. I mean, you know, another 2-2 draw. That means both of the uh, both of the season's meetings between these two teams is going to finish in a draw. There's really nothing quite to separate them at least in the league there's a point and i think you know caleb you mentioned in our group chat that city have a bit of an easier run in but liverpool you know have been so good at just finding a way to win this season that it's going to come down to the absolute wire in this game proved that you know we're probably going to see these two we are going to see these two teams meet again in the fa cup and we are going to and i imagine my prediction is that you know this is probably going to be our champions league final as well or semi-final. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. As a Liverpool fan, you know, obviously we wanted to win this game, but we I I've rarely seen Liverpool win at the at the Etihad. It's such a difficult place to go. And I'm happy with the point just to keep us, you know, within one of City. And I have confidence that, you know, if City do slip up, then this team has, you know, the all-around quality to uh to catch up and overlap them.
1: Yeah, I mean this. This game was just a feast of soccer. Um, And I think, Nick, you said how the teams have been so close for so long. I believe the statistic is since the beginning of, what, the 2018-19 season, a single point separates them in the Premier League over that time. And I suppose after this game, a single point still separates them. In a weird way, I think both coaches got this game right. I mean, Pep Guardiola is well-known for overthinking the big games. And, you know, I, I briefly thought that perhaps starting Gabriel Jesus, who I think has been on, been on the outside looking in as the season has gone on, was, was a bit of a risk. But, you know, I thought he played excellently. He scored a goal, fought mob, gave him, you know, man of the match honors. And this is his fifth goal in five games against Liverpool at the Etihad. So I don't know if that's the type of thing that Guardiola especially cares about, but it turned out that that was the right call. Starting Jota was the right call for Liverpool. And, you know, the changes and the shifts that uh, Klopp made at halftime um, to sort of get Liverpool back into this game a little bit, um, I think just demonstrated that this really was you know, like, I think a tactical and sort of a player masterclass from from everyone involved. And just the level of control that these players demonstrate, even under sort of the extreme pressures that this type of matchup, you know, offers is truly stupendous. I think this is best exemplified by, you know, the moment when it looked as though Ederson might allow uh, the ball oh, to, <laughs> to roll across the net. God. Um dummying the ball as it was, you know, millimeters from, from crossing the line before. And if you look at like the, re- the slow-mo replay, the man is not hurried at all. Even as Diogo Jota is throwing his body, absolutely throwing his body towards the goal line, Ederson has a stoic face and he calmly passes the outlet ball to, um, I think it was Cancelo, it may have been Laporte. Yeah, he but- squares it to Cancelo. It was
2: like a, like a soft square pass. Yeah, it's almost
1: my my point. Is it's hard to find a collection of 22 better players. Yeah, it's hard to find a collection of you know 22 better, just more cohesive units as a team. And I think sometimes you know one does not necessarily equate the other. So I was just thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. I do have a kind of you know a, a question though. So Liverpool versus City is not sort of a, a historic rivalry in the same way. Obviously, Liverpool's main rivalry in Manchester is with United, although that's not you know much of a rivalry these days. And so this is really a rivalry of, of, of quality, of just brilliance. And I kind of wonder how you guys think it compares, considering these are the two sort of premier teams of their generation, to sort of the sort of late 2000s, early 2010s, Pep versus Mourinho, Barca and Madrid, El Clásicos, which I think were a very different feel. There's, I think, hatred between the fans and certain hatred between the players that, while this tie feels a lot more about kind of mutual respect and admiration, but still competitive. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, how you think Pep versus Klopp, City versus Liverpool matches up to sort of early versus Mourinho and sort of those sort of terrific ties
0: from Barcelona, Madrid of old? I think it's, that's a good question. I think it's much more, my first thought is that it, it, it was almost like anti-recency bias. Like my first thought was almost like, oh, neither of these teams are catching like Barcelona of like 2011. But I wonder how much of that is just skewed by the fact that like, time heals all wounds so like i really only do remember um you know those great classicos um or like how good barcelona and like spain were from like 2010 to 2014 because that was just like you know just given how old we are that was like a super formative time for us as like soccer fans i think it's pretty i do think it's pretty analogous actually um in that the talent the individual talent of each team is made better by the systems of each team. And like, I am not totally sure. Like I think Liverpool, (laughs) like if you were to do like a a football manager or a FIFA type simulation of like Liverpool, 2021, 22 and Barcelona, 2011, 2012, like you could probably get a different winner. If you simulate, like you could probably get a different result every time you simulated it. So I like the comparison Caleb. Um, And I do think that, you know, it's two managers who are just like absolutely uh, on top of their game and on top of everyone else too. And I think you saw that they really enjoy coaching against each other too. Uh, like you, you saw, uh, you know, how they sort of interacted after the game. And, um, even that clip of like Pep Guardiola talking with Virgil van Dyke, like, I think they, everyone involved in this game knows how high the stakes are. And also just like, it's, I guess to answer your question, Watching those games as like a a younger kid, it was like, wow, like this is just like they're doing something completely different with soccer than like a good Arsenal team or even like a good Manchester United team was at that time. And we saw that in the Champions League final, um, you know, back in 2011 or 2012 and watching Liverpool City, it does feel just like it's not it's not. Like it's, it's it's on a different, more elevated plane than every other soccer game that you could watch.
2: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think this for me technically is the highest quality rivalry in Premier League history. Like just in terms of like you know, the 22 players who are out there on the pitch, like you were saying, Caleb, I think we haven't seen, you know, a series of matches between two teams that have hit just, you know, the technical heights that these two teams have hit um, when when they compete against one another. I also just think like on a personal level, you know, you look at, you know, the Wenger-Mourinho rivalry. That was just a very particularly vitriolic time in soccer. You know, foreign managers were relatively new to the Premier League. You know, there's an element of like trying to stake your claim. Uh, London is a very combustible city with a lot of combustible fan bases. If you go to the North, you know, you look at what Kevin De Bruyne has said, you know, to, I forget which media outlet it was, but about his interaction with Virgil van Dijk and saying that, like, you know, like I have, I spend a lot of time with Virgil, you know, off the football pitch, our kids play together. They go to the same school. We see each other a lot. Um, these are a bunch of, these are a bunch of guys who, you know, Liverpool and Manchester are are very close to one another who probably live in the same suburbs and you probably, you know, go to a lot of the same restaurants and hang out in a lot of the same circles. I imagine, you know, these two teams recognize that they are each other's equal on the pitch. You know, this is the best competition that they're going to face all season when they step on the field to play one another. And it's going to be extremely intense on the field of play. But once they step off of it, you know, that respect is resumed. And I think they do have a lot of like mutual love and appreciation for one another, which I think is kind of a rarity when it comes to footballing rivalries in a lot of ways. And I think it's something to be kind of admired when you look at these two teams.
1: No, I I I agree. I, I think it is something to be admired. And I know that I'm, you know, a bit more of a neutral in this, but I think it says a lot that, you know, even our resident Liverpool fan, even after a draw that leaves Liverpool still agonizingly a point behind Manchester City, there is there is an admiration that can be drawn from this draw. And I think that's that's kind of nice and and poetic. And one of the things we look for in in soccer, I think.
2: Right. Like I don't, you know, I don't have a particular affinity for Manchester City. And I think we've said on this podcast a number of times, you know, we have you know certain icky feelings in our stomach when it comes to the way that they operate as a club. But can I deny that I I don't you know appreciate the immense talent? Like Pep Guardiola is going to go down as a historic figure in the game of soccer and rightfully so like he's one of the you know one of the greatest coaches the game has ever seen and you know, like players like Kevin De Bruyne you know players like Joao Cancelo who have come out of um Serie A to the Premier League in the past two years to become like one of the best fullbacks in world football you know players like you know Riyad Mahrez you know I have mixed feelings about Raheem Sterling as a Liverpool fan but I can't deny that he's immensely talented you know Bernardo Silva who I think is having you know a career run rena- this season like these players are it's like such a joy to watch them and in the Pep Guardiola system as well as Nathan was saying you know they just when they need to play in these big games it's just immense to see you know the gears that they can get to and the same goes for you know the likes of Mo Salah, Thiago, Fabinho, Virgil van Dijk I thought Virgil van Dijk had an immense game and, you know, just the vision of players like Trent, the, like the pass, the Thiago pass for Diogo Jota's goal to, like, get Liverpool up the field, where he's, like, totally unbalanced and just uncorks the ball. It's just, I, like, the levels that these teams, like, reach when they play each other is unlike anything I've really ever seen before. And so, yes, like, I would love to have won this game. And I think I would, I, I, I do think, you know, looking back on it, this could be a missed opportunity for Klopp and Liverpool, but... I can't say I don't admire just just watching this as
0: a spectacle. Yeah, and I think like no one had a bad game. Maybe Jordan Henderson didn't have the greatest game. You know, he had fewer touches on the ball than Ederson did, for example. Um, But really, the levels of of play from players on both sides range from good to great. Uh, I do think that Kevin De Bruyne had maybe the best individual game of anyone I've seen in the Prem this year. Where just like every single touch he had was world class, and every pass he was playing was just like peak Kevin De Bruyne. Um, but we should probably look at sort of what the result of this game means for the the league going forward and for these two teams because it's pretty clear looking at the uh, the schedule for the last six weeks of the season or the last really the last five and a half weeks of the season at this point, um, one of these teams has a significantly more tricky run-up. And of course, Liverpool need to gain a point at least uh, on City over the last 10 fixtures.
1: Yeah, we mentioned this a little before, but City have a a fairly favorable run-in. Liverpool have to play a few kind of, (laughs) it's hard to say call them all top six sides, but historically top six sides. Um, But, you know, at the turn of the year, Liverpool were nine points, what, 10 points behind. And they've kind of just been blowing through the league since then. And City have been no slouches either. But, you know, suddenly what we thought was a title race that was no race at all is is very much on. And so I don't want to I don't want to discount their chances now. And I think there's every opportunity for. City to drop points and I think it was a tweet from ESPNFC that was sort of imagining on the final day of the season when all games are simultaneous when Manchester City play Aston Villa that a certain diminutive former Liverpool player Felipe Coutinho might have something to say about where the title ends up so I think There is plenty of soccer to be played, and I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion, even though it has to be said Advantage City right now. But maybe we should move on to some of the other Premier League games from this weekend, if that's okay. A weekend that I think featured a lot of... This This may have been one of the most interesting Premier League weekends we've had all year, especially on Saturday, I don't know where you want to start, Nathan. Maybe we can breeze through Arsenal, but I think almost every single match has something worth talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's just—we can avoid talking about uh, <laughs> Arsenal if you guys—if you guys don't mind. I think. Um, why don't we start with something we can all get behind, and that is uh, United. <laughs> <laughs> United spotting Everton. Oh three my God! Points. This Dude. was. Well, this is. First of all, hilarious, because you're talking about an Everton team that had lost back-to-back-to-back games. They got blown out by Crystal Palace. They lost to West Ham. They lost to Burnley. They had gotten smoked by Spurs a few weeks ago and also lost to Wolves. Everton were borderline like favorites to go down. It was like 51 to 49% um, them and Burnley, but they managed to beat United, and uh, I just think that's hilarious.
2: What did Ralph Rannick? Ralph Rannick said at the end of this game, you know, the Everton were a team that conceded three goals to Burnley. There's no reason why Manchester United should be losing against them. But yet they did. Um, Everton only had a 0.55 XG in this game to United's 1.16. United had 12 shots. There's seven um, with four shots on target. Like there's no, the finishing from United was just so poor. All around play was just so drab and uninspiring. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo had a horrific performance in this game both on and off the pitch when he smashed a fan's phone uh you know leaving the field and going down the tunnel and that's you know a whole distraction of itself Um, united both of united's midfielders had to come off you know matich and fred you know not the most dynamic of duos in the first place but certainly don't want to see you know your whole midfield need to be replaced in this game i thought you know Ranick, once again, doesn't quite know the squad very well. Um, Marcus Rashford, I thought, was having a fairly decent game, and he's someone who is in need of um some some form to get himself back, you know, where he was last season. And Ralph Ranick subs him off before he really gets the chance to kind of impose himself on the match. Jaden Sancho was okay. Bruno Fernandez was okay. Like I mean, they got dominated by Alex Awobi and Fabian Delph in midfield. I'll say this again. They got dominated by Alex Iwobi playing as an eight and Fabian Delph in midfield. That is indicative of a lot of the problems United have in this squad right now. And I understand that like Ralph Rannick is only going to be there to the end of the season. All signs point to Eric Ten Hag being appointed. But I have no faith that the structure of Man United is such where even someone of the pedigree of Ten Hag can succeed both with this squad and with this setup. And I mean, it's just, it's an embarrassment. There's no reason why they should be losing and, and spotting Everton, you know, in a fairly easy three points at the end of the day. But for Everton, you know, this is massive. This is huge for Frank Lampard. This is like the statement victory so far of his tenure as Everton man It's pretty laughable tenure as Everton manager so far, but now, you know, this is going to be the motivation that they need to keep themselves from the drop.
1: Yeah. I mean, Manchester United just have no character at all. And the rot starts from the top and we've always known that Ronaldo is just simply a bad person. He's not a good person and that's demonstrated by the fact that he is a, like hitting fans for no for no reason and it's just it's just inappropriate and I think that type of I mean, if you can call it, it's not really leadership, but if you're setting that type of example as a senior player at the club, someone with sort of the pedigree of Ronaldo, it's going to affect the team. And I think it's pretty clear. And, and you know, I don't think Maguire is that much of a leader either. I will say, though, and, you know, I'm not sure I've I've ever really been in the position of defending Fred on this podcast, but he probably has been sneaky over the past month and a half manchester united's best player and i think him leaving the field in the first half to injury was pretty devastating um to the team that you know is still searching for a kind of serviceable midfield duo at the base of that 4231 so i don't know manchester united find themselves in 7th place now but on that note like they brought on yeah. They brought
2: on a player in Paul Pogba who just looks totally checked out.
0: Yeah. yeah like the man, I think the man's and gonna and he's gonna leave. leaving. Yeah, okay. he's leaving this summer without, I mean, without a doubt. Um, I actually think, you know, before we move on to another game, I actually think that United would probably be be best served, missing out on Europe completely. Um, because we know they can handle it financially. I just think this squad needs such a complete overhaul that. You know, if you're Eric Ten Hag and you take over this team and you have to worry about like a Europa competency game against Sturm Graz on a Thursday in like the middle of no, I mean, like, I think they could actually be really well served because we know they're not going to really be impacted that much financially. And they have a lot of saleable assets like they could really benefit from missing out um, on Europe. I guess we should probably move on to another game, though, unless you guys have anything else to to add on to this. Uh-
1: I just wanted to call out. Um. Just to give a sense of the kind of, uh, you know, antics going on here, just Richarlison's sealed dribble um, at at one point in the second half, and I think it just says a lot when, like, you know, the striker for the relegation-threatened opposition is doing like sealed dribbles against you and you're you're Manchester United. But yes, Nathan, let's 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 move on.
0: Yeah, I mean, we should probably talk briefly about Chelsea putting six past Southampton. It's not an unexpected result. It is kind of baffling how like three times a year Southampton end up losing by like five goals or more. And I don't totally, (laughs) I don't totally get why. Because they're like a totally fine middle of the table, like lower middle of the table team with a 4-4-2 that they've played under Ralph hossens for the better part of two years now. I don't get why they... Just like, like okay. it I think nice sometimes smoke. I
2: think I think so this is kind of like I think they have a similar problem to the to the Leeds Bielsa issue where they have one way of playing and if they get found out in the game, which is gonna happen to you, you know, against big teams like Chelsea and you know, against teams that like Leicester was the first team that they, they lost to nine 0 right? Leicester have a really good attacking outfit, particularly that season they did, and then they lost to United nine 0 who have very good players going forward. I think, you know, once once teams, intelligent teams, are able to play through your press and you don't have a plan B, per se, then I think you're going to, like, concede. You're going to start to concede a lot of goals. And I think you saw that in this game. Like, once Chelsea started to figure out how to play through the press, it was just kind of meticulous in the way that they were putting the ball in the back of the net. So, I mean, like, Ralph Hasenudel is a really good coach. He's someone who I think has gotten a lot out of a squad that used to have a lot of quality, but now, you know, not so much. I think Southampton have kind of needed to freshen up their squad for a long time, you know, since around like 2018, 19-ish. But I think Hasen Hill has done a really good job with what he has. But sometimes I think this is just going to happen to a team that is one way of playing.
1: Yeah, I also think, you know, in particular, this is the type of team that really does not benefit from players representing their national teams because they just don't have that much depth. And in this case, you know, Levermento was, is not fully fit, went off and played for the England U 21 team at, at the, sort of the protests of Hassan And I'm not sure he's hundred percent and then immediately has to get thrown back in to the right back role here. So I think that's a, and then probably a similar thing with, with Kyle Walker Peters, who, who also played for, England and I just think a squad like this unfortunately is just not built for having player you know exerting themselves unnecessarily for for their national teams on the Chelsea side of things though I think this was an important rebound win after their drubbing against Real Madrid which we'll we'll talk about a little later in the episode I think this was a good reminder of Mason Mount's quality He's up to nine goals and eight assists this year in the Prem. And also, Timo Werner with, I think, a very tidy performance um, and a brace. I'm still not totally sure where this Chelsea team goes. I think they're probably going to succeed against Madrid. Um, but as far as, you know, comeback performances go, um, this is about as best as I think, you know, Tuchel, Tuchel could have hoped for right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I guess the other... Uh, oh, what were you going to say, Caleb?
1: I was, I was going to go, but... So, no, no, I was just going to move to another game, but you go, you go. Just take Yeah, us let's... Us uh,
0: Leeds beat Watford 3-0. We don't have to talk about this game in particular, but it does seem like Jesse Marsh is going to end up guiding Leeds to safety, which is certainly good for the game, good for American soccer as well. Uh, Spurs, after being dominated through the first half of play against Aston Villa, uh, ended up turning on the Jets out of halftime and putting four past uh, the villains. And they are now firmly in fourth place. Uh, And even though they do have a game or have one more game played uh, than Arsenal, they are certainly the foreign side uh, in that battle for, uh, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth European spaces right now.
2: Yeah, I think this is very much a Conte team now, you know, they are definitely still getting dominated in patches of play, but I think we're used to, you know, Conte teams being able to handle that sort of punishment and come out of it unscathed and be able to open teams up on the counter and really capitalize on mistakes. And you're seeing Tottenham's understanding of the three, four, two, one, the three, five, two really come into full effect. Uh, Exemplified by the fact that Matt Doherty has become, you know, one of <laughs> this always happens with the Conte team. Matt Doherty has become one of the best wing backs in Europe, both playing on the left side and the right side. And I think the 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 spark of Dayan Kuliszewski to this team cannot be understated. I think he's been, you know, one of the best players in the Premier League since coming in January. And I think he's become a useful foil, bringing something very different to the Kane Son duo and harry kane has one more person to uh ping the ball off of and kind of link up with and i think that's that's going to serve him really well as, Sorry, I, and,
0: and by ping the ball off of you mean ping a soccer ball not a uh, a golf ball yes
2: exactly since he was spotted at the masters seemingly teleporting there from london the morning after the game but yes i think that triumvirate of Kulusevsky, Kane, and Son is going to be just enough to get Spurs over the line into fourth place, especially since teams like West Ham and Arsenal and Manchester United are somewhat falling away at the moment. And Conte is going to prove once again that he is one of the best managers in the world.
1: Yeah, and I also don't want to underplay the performance of Son in this game who scored a hat trick, um, who demonstrated that he has this sort of killer instinct he he scores just some really good goals from not that much opportunity sometimes he's now up to you know 17 goals in the prem this year which i think places him what second after uh mo salah this spurs team is sneaky put together you know nine goals in their last two games and i agree with both of you guys, that they have to be sort of favorites for that top four spot right now, um, and you know, despite their manager talking about how shit they are uh, sometimes, and they the Conte way, it's the it's the Conte way. Um, and and, and to knew, be fair, to be fair, yeah,
0: they definitely played really poorly in the first three weeks under him, but they've picked it up at the right time. Yes, and so, they seem
2: to love him too, like that, like. Just from the juxtaposition of the start of the season from when they had, you know, Nuno into Conte, like they seem the respect for like Conte has had to earn their respect and they have had to earn Conte's respect. But now there really seems to be um, an understanding between Conte and the key members of this team.
0: Yes. Uh, And then as far as the the Sunday games went, I don't think we need to spend too much time discussing uh, really any of them. Uh,
1: but no, I think we can, I think we can probably
0: move let's, on. Let's move. We should yeah, just, let's, let's go to, we have, we have too much to talk about. Yeah. Now, actually. We've already we, been we going have for a half an hour. Yeah. So let's go, uh, let's, let's talk about Europe. Uh, and we had some pretty compelling ties this last week. Uh, Liverpool turned on the jets, uh, against Benfica. They put three past them. Although there was a point in this game where I got like a little nervous that Benfica were going to come back, um, but a really comfortable, Three one away win sets up Liverpool pretty nicely for a return. Not that the away
1: uh, part matters anymore, but still, yes, very, nice. very <laughs> true. No, it,
0: the, the away win there was just to qualify yeah. event. Away it was really gore.
2: the you know it was really the Luis Diaz show who didn't get a chance to really show out against Manchester City. Much to my surprise, since he's been immaculate since he's come in, but you know he's he's come in and he's performing on the biggest stages, and he did it but once again against a team that was his rival for so many years when he was playing for Porto.
0: Yeah, this was a uh, this was a very good game uh, for him and really another good game for uh, a lot. I mean, I thought Naby Kaito was, was really good uh, in this one, and the fullbacks looked great for Liverpool as well. But uh, Atleti taking on Man City, uh, in what was described as a 5-5-0 <laughs> five, five, formation. And it's great. If you look at the heat map or the touch map for uh, on who scored for Atleti, it's hilarious. Uh, Atleti did not record a single true shot in this game. They were trying to sit back and counter. Um, but I think Antoine Gretzman's 31 years of age really showed uh, in this one. Because if you're using him as your outlet and Joao Felix as your outlet. Uh, He just doesn't have the pace to beat people anymore. So at the end of the day, Atleti were somewhat rewarded uh, by playing the most defensive formation uh, Pep Guardiola has ever seen, Uh, but City were deserved 1-0 victors. And you just, you know, you cannot get outshot. I think 18-0, sorry, 15-0 was the final tally uh, in this one and expect to, you know, put anything on the board. But, uh, you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, at the Winer Metropolitana, they only need one goal and some, you know, penalties really to, to get through this tie.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I think we, this is exactly what we expected from Atleti. I think the British press in particular had this kind of, I don't even have the word. Um, oh, they hate Atletti. They hate they, them so much because it they, was the same deal when, when they played called, Liverpool. They
0: call it the dark arts.
1: Yeah. They, they call it the dark arts, but. If you watch La Liga at all, you know that like this is what a Simeone side does when it needs to, right? Also, you know and that like I think,
2: this has provided success for Diego no, Simeone. No, I'm saying,
1: yeah, this has provided success. This is the type of thing that's got them to you know two Champions League finals in the past decade. This is the type of stuff that has got them important points in La Liga games when they win league titles and in a knockout you know game like this or a knockout tie tactics matter you're not going to play the same way you might play any old game and so I just you know it's not aesthetic but I don't think it's embarrassing what Atleti did I think it's what you kind of have to do against the team we just called the best, perhaps one of the top two teams in the world, which Atleti certainly are not. So I respect it. I respect it. I just want that to be said. And the British press, I think, don't... I don't know. The British press, man. As someone who yeah, has I mean, been, knocked the,
2: yeah. someone who's been knocked out of the Champions League by Atletico Madrid, doing essentially the exact same thing that they did here, it is like incredibly frustrating of course, and of course it's going to be, and it's not fun to watch, and they totally take the sting out of your game, but they do it so well that it is, it's is—it's not like they've lucked into this, right? This is their strategy. They're so well-drilled. This has provided them you know, a numerous amount of trophies and wins and success, and like Caleb said, two Champions League finals where they've almost won both times. And I think going back to the Metropolitano, if you asked Diego Simeone, oh would could you could is it okay if like you're going to be 1-0 down you know leaving the etihad going back home for the second leg i'm sure he'd be like yes because i know that we have the quality to score one or two goals in uh in the 90 minutes to get this game either to extra time or to win it in 90 minutes and you're going to see at the metropolitano you know Zhao Felix has been really good at home this season you know they they have enough quality to you know nick a goal or two against this city team you know simeone is the highest paid manager in the world and it's no fluke that he is because he means that much to this atleti team and he knows a big game like not to use cliches all over the place but diego simeone knows how to win a big game he knows the squad intimately and he i, I think you know whether they go down in the second leg in city they're going to go down playing their way and they're going to go down on that sword on the Simeone sword.
1: So that was Tuesday, and then Wednesday, I think, in general, provided a lot more interest and intrigue in the Champions League. First, we had Chelsea versus Madrid at the Stamford Bridge, Woo! and Chelsea kind of got destroyed, blown out really? of the park. Yes, um, a yeah, battered dude. Karim yeah. Benzema <laughs> is the first player or the oldest player to ever score back-to-back Champions League hat-tricks. Of course, he scored a hat-trick against PSG to knock them out in spectacular fashion in the previous round. He's the first person to score back-to-back Champions League hat-tricks in a knockout round since Cristiano Ronaldo in 2017. Um, This was just an immaculate performance from a man who's gonna win the Ballon d'Or this year. It didn't help that in the second half, Moments after the restart, uh, you know, Mendy demonstrated that he is not, uh, you know, the best with his feet. And I don't think that's ever really been a strength of his game, but putting a really awful pass to Rudiger that left an open net. I don't have any more or many more superlatives left for this French mastermind, but sort of Madrid as usual, get it done in the Champions League. And, you know, Chelsea and Tuchel's response to bring on, you know, Kovacic, Ziek, Loftus-Cheek, but especially Lukaku, who missed, you know, a fairly open header, showed that they didn't quite have the answers. Now, we talked about the Southampton result this weekend, but I'm not sure that any person should bet against this Madrid team to advance at this point. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think... um... We talked about this a bit the last time we recorded, but this Chelsea's team, their 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 whole identity the last year and a half has been, you know, defensive solidity, that sort of defensive possession that they use to go forward. And Madrid, well, uh, it they did get a little bit of luck along the way, but Madrid sort of took them to task, and we've seen Chelsea's defensive presence wane a bit. In recent weeks after they rattled off that sort of 15 game unbeaten run uh we saw brentford put four by them and then we saw madrid and, and really benzema um, have one of the better performances uh of any player this year um and yeah i mean i caleb i think you're absolutely right benzema is going to win the ball into ore this year uh, and what he's doing at age 34 is absolutely outstanding but also huge shout-outs to Madrid's midfield which I thought looked really really good today. And I was actually a big fan of Fede Valverde in that sort of like inside right role and I'm curious if he sort of has a future operating in those channels as a more evolved version of what Lucas Vazquez was for the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I think you know Madrid are going to go through right now and the, and the prospects of uh you know Madrid taking down Man City or even facing Man City in a Champions League semifinal over two legs is very, very appetizing, knowing Pep's history and sort of City's profligacy in the biggest Champions League matches under Pep.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is a matchup that we've seen recently where Man City kind of handily beat Real Madrid, but that was at the end of the Zidane tenure. You know, this is, you know, the Carlo Ancelotti fresh off of Everton, tenure second tenure in charge of this team and yes I think Karim Benzema I can't you know I can sit here and repeat all of the the things that you guys have said I just want to talk about his heading of the ball in this game for both of the goals oh my god I have never seen someone with that much control over you know where they can guide the ball with their head he was scoring these headers from like almost click closer to the close to the edge of the box than close to the goal it was insane I had never it's seen explicit. any. it's 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 insane it's insane like this guy deserves to win the Ballon d'Or it's insane you know the reputational turn that he has taken his career to you know he's completely redeemed himself from that scandal that took place you know a few years ago and this kind of like followed him ever since I mean he is a majestic player to watch he's by far and away you know, the best player in the world on form right now. And without him in the team, you know, this, we've seen this Madrid team get absolutely stomped by a resurgent Barcelona team. You know, he is the answer for Real Madrid. He is Real Madrid right now. And I think him, and also by extension, Vinicius, who I thought had an amazing game at Stanford Bridge, you know, tearing apart, particularly Andreas Christensen, um, are going to do the business at the Bernabeu against Chelsea, who I don't think, can really keep clean sheets in big games right now.
0: Yeah. I mean I think that's <laughs> that's that's spot you're, you're on. saying
1: Southampton isn't a big game. What's up?
0: Um yes so that was that
1: was the first game and then the second game of the day an intriguing match between Villarreal and Bayern Villarreal scoring the early goal through Danjuma um who continues to put together a a rather (laughs) excellent season and who called himself I don't know if this is what you're about to say Nathan but who afterwards called himself you know like I have to be considered one of the best wingers in the world right now and I think that type of attitude you know in the long run doesn't serve you especially well but in the short run over a two-game tie could be the difference Virial taking the win at home one nil this is the team that you know, this, they're riding, what, sixth or seventh in La Liga right now, but took down Juventus in the previous round. They have a lot of quality in this team. Um, Los Celso has looked great since coming over from Spurs. Parejo is sort of one of the most underrated midfielders of the last decade, I would say. Moreno, who almost scored spectacularly from sort of behind his own halfway line after an error from Neuer. This Bayern team has not really, I would say, hit the highest heights this year. And and I think that they are truly vulnerable to the upset here. In the previous round, we saw them lose or draw, what was it, against Salzburg before battering them. Was it 7-1 in the next leg? Is that on the cards here, or do you guys think Villarreal... Might be able to just
0: sort of squeak this one by. So, I think we have to credit Unai Emery, and he is just the master of the knockout tie. And it's a shame that uh, you know he didn't end up winning that Europa League with Arsenal, because I think it, that sort of is a, a bit of a a dampener on his reputation. But in he won and won it with Villarreal. No, 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 no. Yeah. We're right. But he's, but he's basically had success at in knockout competitions at every single club that he's been at. And oftentimes he's taken down better T. Te- oh, frequently he's taken down teams with more quality. Um, and so while Dan Juma, you know, is not one of the best wingers in the world, uh, unfortunately, I mean, maybe if you look at like all wingers in the world, he's like, you know, top decile or whatever, but um You know, Bayern have been a very weird up-and-down team this year where they're not quite the well-oiled machine that we normally expect from them. But at the same time, they're still capable of ripping off, you know, a 3-0 win against Barcelona or, like, a 7-1 win over Salzburg at any given time. So I don't think that we'll see a similar type of game to what they had against Salzburg in the second leg of that tie. Um, But I do think that they'll end up going through um, against Villarreal. Spanish teams, especially Emory teams, have a way of coming through um, you know, in the clutch. And I don't think, you know, we saw this last year when Emory, um, you know, in the semifinals, when Emory did not sit back while defending a lead or while trying to get, while trying to advance. You know, they are more lethal on the counter, knowing that Bayern are going to be chasing a couple of goals. So I'm actually really excited to watch this. In fact, it's probably... The tie that has the most riding on it, in terms of um, you know, uh, what like entertainment value for the second leg.
2: I mean, yeah, I completely agree. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Unai Emery for the work that he's done with Via Real, for like for context, are a small club. Like they are not, you know. You think about the amount of success that they've had in the past, you know, five to ten years or so. They are still kind of a very diminutive club when it comes to the grand stages of the Champions League, certainly going up against a team like Bayern Munich. I I just think Bayern are going to find a way to put the ball in the back of the net uh, this Tuesday. However, I do think that you know the back four, particularly the you know, players like Pau Torres and Juan Foyth, who I think has had a bit of a career renaissance um, with Emery since leaving Tottenham, you look at players like Luchelso in midfield. I, I uh, talk about de Parejo. I completely believe is is a very underrated player. I think Etienne Capou is one of the best defensive midfielders in all of Europe right now, and I think his technical gift is something that kind of gets slept on quite a bit. I do think. I mean, I think you know, if they can, if they can weather the storm a little bit in the opening thirty-ish minutes or so in Munich, I do think Villarreal have a chance. It's just whether or not Bayern come out you know, kind of with everything in their arsenal and can get two goals in the opening 15 minutes, which I can also see happening as well.
0: Do we want to talk about any of the Europa League results? Uh, We had, I mean, they were all pretty even on the day. Um, Leipzig-Atalanta was a game that we had predicted would uh, see some goals. And despite the teams combining for five XG, uh, we only ended up seeing a 1-1 draw. We also saw 1-1 draws uh, in Frankfurt uh, between West Ham and... West Ham, excuse me.
2: West... (laughs) (laughs) That was... uh, That's what, uh, you know... <laughs> just, uh, just, what accent I just, was that I just, supposed to
0: be I, I, just, I just got caught in code from German West Ham <laughs> West, I, said, West I had said, uh, I, had said Frank, I had said Frankfurt I, so I was like yeah, West, Frankfurt. Frankfurt.
2: Frankfurt. West, and, West, West Ham West Ham oh West Ham West like Ham what Thomas Sickle says I... Well, he needs to go to West Ham West Ham
0: Union David Ham. David Boys. <laughs>
2: by David Moyes, they have that famous German player Jean
0: Boyden
2: I don't have to go to Lyon.
0: <laughs>
2: oh my Sorry. god oh my god they're not even they in had... frankfurt they're playing Lyon. Well,
0: I was I, that's what I was saying getting on well, he was moving
2: from
1: yeah, also
0: saw, yeah. also saw one-one draws between Frankfurt and Barcelona and West Ham. Yeah. And Leon, the only actual decision um, we saw was Braga picking up a surprise 1-0 win over Rangers that actually could have been far worse. They had a goal disallowed um, due to VAR that I thought… Is that totally a surprise, though,
1: or do we just overestimate Rangers a little bit? I think think we just
0: underestimate Braga, actually.
2: Yeah, I also think Rangers have had a bit of a tough time since the turn of the, the calendar year both in terms of like injuries to the team. I also think they're kind of the, the pressure of Celtic being kind of back on top under Pasta Coglu has kind of caused them to wither a little bit.
0: Yeah. And then I guess probably the, the most uh, interesting result from Thursday, we don't have to talk about it in depth because I know that we all, uh, we weren't watching this game, but Bodo Glimped beat Roma <laughs> again, which is hilarious because not only did they absolutely tonk Roma six, one, uh, they then held Roma like a fairly like full strength Roma side, Um, to a 2-2 draw. Bodo Glimt, of course, being the defending Norwegian champions playing from inside the Arctic Circle, uh, which is pretty cool. And they beat, um, you know, again, another full-strength side 2-1. My my favorite thing about
1: this game is when uh, Mourinho arrived at, like, this tiny little airport (laughs) in this one, there's just, like, a bunch of fans lined up, and one of them just threw, like, a single solitary snowball at Mourinho, and it was at that moment that you knew it was all over for the third <laughs> you time. Lost the mental battle um, immediately. I, I will say this: Roma team has just in general been a very mixed bag this year, um, and so I'm curious to see where they can pull it out. The one other thing, because um, we don't need to spend too much time, I think, on like the Barcelona Frankfurt game. It was it was surprising, but uh, now it's a you know winner takes all match um, at the new camp spotify uh brought to you by beyonce this week whatever um but i just didn't want to mention marseille versus Pac and just dimitri
0: Payet's. oh my god laser of a goal i have
1: never seen i have truly never seen a ball hit quite this sweetly before should have driven in from the corner. This was clearly, I think, a, like a practiced play. It was. So this is
2: like the most, in, this is the most insane part of this whole thing to me is that clearly this is like a devised set piece that they've worked
1: on in training and that Dimitri Payet has scored this goal in training before, like yeah, probably several I, times. I hope that, you know, I hope that Marseille can like find a video of him scoring this in training just to like throw it online. But you're right. It's It, it was a practiced play, driven in corner, it takes what one little skip and then he just lasers it perfectly into the top corner. And I will say Payet's you know, a bit of a mercurial player, but he scores
0: some of the best goals I've ever seen. Goals that are totally um unrecreatable as well. Like thinking about that free kick that he hit um, you know, for West Ham against United, where it it he somehow got the curvature perfect um you know to nestle in the net so yes that goal was a banger uh the only comparable that i can think of was hamid altentop who was like a totally random player in the turkish league he won the pushkas in i think like 2011 or 2012 like one of the first years that this award was given he had a similar volley although it was on an angle which made it maybe slightly easier um but yeah just an Isn't he playing rocket. for madrid at
1: that point am i making that up
0: no. So he did play for Madrid. He, okay. I think he played like seven games, but he was playing for maybe Basel uh, in the Swiss league. Uh, we can, uh, we don't need to fact check this cause it's totally irrelevant, but um, yeah, I guess we should probably get to the weekend um, for you, Caleb, before we maybe wrap things up because it's somehow almost been an hour already. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, busy, busy weekend. Um, you know, seeing as we didn't spend any time talking about Arsenal, which is for the best, we may as well talk about Barcelona. I was a bit harsh on them in my in, in my text after this game where I said that, you know, they probably deserved 0 points. They actually probably deserved 1 point, but they will come away from this weekend with 3 points after conceding 3 penalties to Levante. Some late heroics from uh Pedri and Aubameyang and and finally uh Luke De Jong who's really scored some clutch goals for Barcelona. Um, you know, of his 7 goals, I feel like 4 of them have been match winners, but Barcelona picked up a 3-2 win Um, against the Levante team that just refused to die.
1: Yeah, so this was, you know, Barcelona trying to shake off a mediocre bad draw against Frankfurt in the Europa League in midweek. We're playing, uh, you know, the Azelgranas of Levante, who are the worst defense in La Liga and are way down in 19th. But do you have a few quality players, I'll I'll shout out, you know, Jose Luis Morales, who's 34 now, but remains one of sort of the most tricky dribblers um, in in the league. We concede, we play pretty poorly. I'd say we get outplayed um, by Levante for much of the first half. Eric Garcia had to clear the ball off the line. And as soon as the second half begins, we concede not one, not two, but three penalties, only one of which I would say is a little harsh. Um terstegen saves one but then chavi makes some you know important substitutions gavi and, and pedri just those two guys uh come on and immediately things change a few minutes later dembele sends in a ball for bema who'd been anonymous all game but gets his goal then gavi just splits two defenders on his own lays the ball off for pedri who is turning into quite the sort of attacking threat at this point. And then after Levante had leveled it 2-2 in the 83rd minute after Langley uh, gave up a penalty and basically his first touch on the field, Luke de Gaulle comes onto the field and in the 92nd <laughs> minute scores another game-winning header. It was his fourth goal off the bench for Barcelona. It was his third game winning goal. This man is an absolute cult hero. And I so hope that he stays to continue to play this role um for you know another season or two. Luke de Geul. Well, indeed. he really
0: he he reminds me a bit of like Eric Maxim Chupamoting and how like four times a season at whatever big club he was at. He would somehow find a way to, like, score a few game winners, despite what are some, like, pretty glaring technical limitations. But, yeah, I mean, heck of a game.
2: Yeah, I don't think Luke De Jong is ever going to stop the ball on the line in the attack. <laughs> 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 Le- <laughs> Leading to, I think Luke De Jong is a pretty competent uh, poacher, unlike, you know, some of Eric Maxim Chubamoting's
1: unfortunate career highlights. Yeah. And then, so b- before we go, I think there's just two other things that I think we should talk about. One, PSG beating Claremont-Foot. Foot? How do you say it in French, Nick? Or is it still foot? Clermont foot Foot, okay. Um, West Ham. <laughs> um, 6-1, a hat trick from Neymar, a hat trick from Mbappe, a hat trick of assists from Messi, who now has, I believe, the most assists of any player in a top league. Or, or is at least close he now has 13 assists in 20 matches um in the league this year so not the worst return i think this is a little bit more of what we were expecting from the MM and front line it's come a little too little too late uh, but i think we can still celebrate it slightly um when it arrives
2: i mean yeah this is going to be the game that PSG uses for a lot of social media purposes (laughs) in the next coming years or so in order to promote, hey, like at one point we had Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. Yeah, I think like you said, you know, this is kind of what on paper we were expecting from this front three. We haven't got to see them play, I think, as many times together as you would have hoped and certainly not play as many times together this well. But I think this is like, this was the dream, right? And
1: I'm glad that we got to see a little bit of what the dream should have looked like also it's just i'm just looking at mbappe stats right now the guy has 20 goals and 14 assists in 28 games in ligue 1 that's
0: that's ridiculous but nathan yeah i mean it is it is uh it is it is pretty ridiculous um is there anything else that we want to touch on before we we say goodnight i just, just remembered syria oh yeah oh. syria I was just, just going to say, like,
2: I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, Dimitri Payet highlights because he's, I'm like, they're all like rushing back into my head. Yeah. He had like a Rabona assist from outside of yeah. the box. No, the guy's like, nuts. Some random, but dude, this guy was nuts. And then, like, in the Euros in 2016, he scored that, like, ridiculous goal in the opening match against Romania. Like, yeah. this guy was insane. Anyways,
1: you yeah. continue. Yeah. The Serie A bit is just um in, in the very tight race up at the top there. The momentum has has suddenly switched to Inter Milan, who had a 2-0 win this weekend, while Napoli succumbed to defeat, and AC Milan uh, drew for the second game running. They're ahead of Inter by two points, but Inter have a game in hand. This is definitely really going to go down to the wire, but it's looking more and more like Inter are going to retain the title.
0: Yeah, and I think they absolutely deserve it as well. Um, uh, you know, the job that this team has done after losing um, you know, the the most proficient goal scorer uh in their side is is super, super impressive. And uh I do I do think that it emphasizes uh, you know, first of all, the fact that this is a league that more eyes should be on, um, because we do have a genuine title race between three teams, really, uh, at this point. Um, but also the fact that as much as the I think Super League conversation got in the got uh, might might have suggested otherwise, giants are eventually fellable. You know, like giants can be felled, and Juve, as a result of a number of things, um, you know, despite some good transfer business this last winter, um, have certainly been dethroned, and I think that's good for the game and and really good for the league. Yeah. Do you want to wrap
1: us, Nathan? Yeah,
0: let's wrap. Yeah, let's wrap. You know, it's been an hour. uh, Tons of soccer going on. We are well and truly in crunch time right now uh, in world soccer. Um, You know, other things that happened this week. Gio Reyna went off injured, which is unfortunate. But um, we really hope that he recovers soon. For a guy who's had a lot of injury troubles, it's really hard to watch. Um, We've got, obviously, the second leg for all of these European ties this week. We've got some huge games coming up this weekend, uh, you know, including the FA Cup semi-finals. Um, we have the De Der Klassiker in the Netherlands between PSV and Ajax. We have, you know, a similarly esteemed rivalry matchup between Barcelona and Cádiz. Um, so some huge games around Europe that we will surely break down for you next week. Um, of course, we also have Liverpool United on Monday. So my guess is that we will talk to you then um, about the results of what went down. But until next time, I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds,
2: I've been Ikevin, and I'm about to go watch a Dimitri Payet highlights compilation to round off my evening. I hope you all do the same.
0: Yeah, make sure you include the goal against West Ham, and we will see you all next time.